The views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect that of the staff and management of Good Karma Brands, but are the sole responsibility of the hosts and guests of this particular show. America may have many, many days, but they will be full of trouble. There will be no rest. There will be no tranquility in this country. Until a nation comes to turn with our problem. Bringing you social and political commentary from his mouth to your ears. Breaking down the issues which matter to you. You are not put here to be a white man's footstool. You are put here to represent the very best in God's world. Legendary civil rights icon, the Reverend Jesse Jackson in the studio. Reverend Jackson, how are you? Good morning on this chilly Milwaukee morning. And I am pleased to have one of the founding members of the Black Panther Party, Chairman Bobby Seale. Mr. Chairman, how are you this morning? Good morning. I'm doing just fine. Thank you. From Mr. Eric Holder. Mr. Holder, so good to see you. How are you? Well, I'm fine, man. How you been? It's been a long time. Haven't seen you for a while. The Dr. Cornell West. Dr. West, how are you, sir? My dear brother, you're so kind. You're so generous. So, man, but I salute you and the work that you were doing there. Doing a magnificent job there, Wisconsin. Stream live on 1017thetruth.com. Call in with your questions or comments. 833-212-1017. Join us on social media at 1017thetruth. It may not be what you expect to hear, but I will definitely give you what you need to know. Are you ready for the truth? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Now, live from the American Family Insurance Studio at the Avenue in the heart of downtown Milwaukee, here is Sherwin Hughes. Good morning. Welcome to the program. Today is Wednesday, February 21st, 2024. Typically, on the day after an election, I go over the results. I talk about voter turnout. I talk about some of the issues that exist and why people went to go and cast their vote. But turnout was so embarrassingly low yesterday, there's really nothing to discuss. On my ballot, the only race was the mayoral primary where Cavalier Johnson last time I checked he had like 86 percent of the vote because he did not have a legitimate candidate and I say that with all due respect David King and Aisha Griffin are not legitimate candidates because they have run for office repeatedly and if any of them have ever gotten five percent of the vote in any of the office they have ever ran for then they should consider that a victory meaning 95% of the voters in any election in which they're on the ballot choose someone else. But here's the crazy part. The issues are probably more profound and more pronounced than ever. But we don't have a depth nor plethora of candidates that reflect the issues that are now happening in the city of Milwaukee. And I think that we are in a very unusual state of transition, and it is my job to make sure that I am pointing out things that I see that give evidence to this transition. I believe the mayor, when he says he wants to grow Milwaukee to 1 million people, it's a very ambitious goal. And there are things that can be done, I suppose, over the long haul. What needs to be done, and by the time the city ever gets to a million people, which Climate change, maybe, because, you know, our winters are mild. You know, we don't have winter. You know, it snows like three, four days and it it just we don't have winter anymore. So what's going to happen is coastal areas are going to start getting flooded. You're going to have more wildfires out west. You're going to have way more 
hurricanes hitting the Gulf Coast and the East Coast, and people are going to move north and move inward. So that is going to bring more people to the upper Midwest, potentially Milwaukee. That's one thing that can bring a million people here. So either way, the mayor's ambitious goal will not take place while he is mayor. Cavalier Johnson ain't here for a long time. He's here for a good time. Mark my words on that. He is not going to be a mayor that served as long as Norquist and or Tom Baird, even before that, Mayor Meyer. If I do some real quick math, and before that, you had Frank Zeidler. <sighs> Since 1948, literally the year my mama was born, the city of Milwaukee has had... Zeidler, Meyer, Norquist, Barrett. Cavalier Johnson has not yet been elected to a full four-year term. So since 1948, we've had essentially four four-year term elected mayors. That's insane. Cavalier Johnson won't be here that long. And here's the thing, there's no strike against him. I don't want y'all to think that when I'm doing my job, trying to be as objective as I can and look at facts and look at information and reporting them, that I'm I'm striking against the mayor. Cavalier Johnson's doing exactly what he's supposed to do. My brother is on his path. This was all like written for him. This was in the scripture for him to get elected to the Common Council, to have a decent, if not wonderful relationship with Tom Barrett. Then Tom Barrett can help and assist whichever way he can to make sure Cavalier Johnson gets reelected. And then you get certain people on the Common Council. They cast their vote for Common Council president. That becomes Cavalier Johnson. Tom Barrett the whole time was working on leaving the city, getting his ambassadorship, which he got. And all of the pieces just kind of fell into place where when Tom Barrett got his appointment, Cavalier Johnson was Common Council president. Cavalier Johnson then became the acting mayor. Once you're the acting mayor, you are the incumbent in Milwaukee in Wisconsin. Hard to beat an incumbent, even if they suck. I like Leon Young. I like his whole family. He's a cogs, you know. Leon Young was a member of the Wisconsin State Assembly for like 24 years, 26 years, a very long time. In 2006, in the summer of 2006, when Leon Young was supposed to be campaigning for his reelection to the Wisconsin State Assembly, he decided he wanted to take a little vacation. Ain't nothing wrong with vacations. I like vacations. I even like the place he was vacationing to. He was going to Vegas. I like Vegas. There's a lot of things in Vegas. There's a lot of lights. There's a lot of action. Usher's there, apparently. On the plane that he took to Vegas, Leon Young had company. This is an incumbent member of the Wisconsin State Assembly in the middle of his reelection campaign where he should have been talking to voters and knocking on doors, um, sending mail, political correspondence to the voter. No, he said, I'm going to take me a little rest in Vegas. Okay, fair enough. Ain't nothing wrong with it. On the plane, there were two women. Well, more than two women, two women that knew him. One was his baby mama. The other was his girlfriend. They fought on the plane. He got a ticket. I think they all got ticket. I don't think anybody was jailed, but they received citations for disorderly conduct. Now, you would think if you are an incumbent member of the Wisconsin State Assembly, and I believe he had an opponent. Leon Young always had an opponent. And you fly to Vegas during your campaign, which kind of tells the voters you're not really interested in talking to them or engaging them or letting them know 
why you should be reelected. He decides to go to Vegas, and on that plane, he has his baby mama and his girlfriend, the baby mama, the girlfriend, and Leon Young all get into a fight. Whoever would have predicted if I fly my baby mama and my girlfriend on the same plane to Vegas, were they all going to stay in the same room? These details I don't know, but I'm an inquiring mind. He still got reelected. If that don't show you the power of incumbency, I don't know what does. Former Congressman Jerry Kleska, I think he died. Uh, is Jerry Kleska still alive? I think he's a, he's dead. The city of Milwaukee used to be so segregated. We had two congressmen. Tom Barrett was the North Side congressman. Jerry Kleska was the South Side congressman. I'm not kidding. We used to have two congressional representatives. And you know what the dividing line was? The East-West Freeway, I-94. So the area south of I-94, predominantly white. The area north of I-94, including the north side of the city of Milwaukee, predominantly black. Imagine that. Jerry Kleska used to get caught drunk driving like once a month. He's a member of Congress now. He just used to get drunk and just get in his pickup truck or whatever he drove and just would get DWI after DWI, DWI, DWI. And he just kept getting reelected. Apparently getting an, is it OWI or DWI? It doesn't matter. Whatever. Apparently getting an OWI or a DWI driving when you're drunk made him more relatable to the people, and he kept getting reelected. Bottom line is incumbency is very, very powerful. All you have to do is get in the seat. You can suck bad, but if you're the incumbent, there's things you have access to. There's people you can work with, people of power and influence that you can appease and make them happy. And then when you make these people of power and influence happy, they then can use that power and influence to help you, the incumbent, stay in office. Oh, it's a sinister system, but it's actually beautifully designed. It's just not really designed with the voters and the body politic in mind. Maybe we grow the city to a million people, but you're not going to do it without better transportation options. If you look at the metro area, don't even look at the metro area. Just look at the city of Milwaukee. All of our stuff that generates the absolute most revenue, the most revenue, like standalone brick and mortar buildings that generate the most revenue. I bet the revenues combined with these three entities is probably a billion plus. That's money. Billion dollars is a nice piece of change. Somebody writes, sure, when to check for a billy, that moves my needle. My gas tank on full. You know how sometimes you ride around with your gas tank almost on E. You just flirt with death and disaster. You got your needle and like you get to know your needle, don't you? Somebody get in your car and they see that you on E and they panic. Like, hey, don't you need to get some gas? Oh, no, I can drive to Chicago with that much gas. You write somebody a check for a billion dollars. They'll fill their tank up when they own half. They got half a tank. I think I better go get some gas. I have three quarters of a tank. The the baseball stadium, I don't want to mess it up. It's it's okay. It's not County Stadium. Then it was Miller Park for like 20 years. And now it's the American Family Insurance Theater Baseball Stadium Park. Right? Look where it's located. It's, it's not even in Milwaukee. I think that's like West Milwaukee. I don't even, it's not where it's supposed to be. Okay, and then look at the other, and that produces a lot of revenue. It's 80, what is it, 81 home games? Now, they don't all sell out, but I think the American Family Stadium Insurance Baseball Park Stadium Field 
seats about 42,000 people. Do the math, then do the math of the parking people pay for, then do the math of the drinks and the food that people buy. That generates a lot of revenue. I probably could look it up, but it's a bunch of revenue, right? And then you look at the other thing that is just east of there that generates a trim. <laughs> Shout out to Potawatomi. They are not playing with y'all. They are, they'll just design more stuff so you can spend more money. It's where Bob goes to meet women. Potawatomi. They probably generate several, at least 400 million a year. Maybe a half a billion dollars a year. I don't know what the American Family Stadium Baseball Insurance Park generates, but then you've got American Family Insurance Baseball Stadium. You got Potawatomi, which is a revenue generator. They expanded their gambling probably about twenty or so years ago, give or take. Then they said, "Let's build a hotel so people can stay on the property and gamble." So they built a hotel, and then you know what they did to the hotel? They said, "Let's make it bigger." So they expanded the hotel, and they expanded the hotel, and they said, "Guess what? We're going to do? We're going to make it bigger again. We're just going to grow." The hotel, like Joe Biden, wants to grow the economy from the bottom up and the middle out. And then look at the Pfizer Forum. Now that generates revenue. And then the Deer District got the restaurants and the bars, the activity, especially when it gets warm. It's electric. When we didn't have a summer fest, we didn't have one in 2020 because covid would have killed everyone, apparently. I bet if we had Summerfest as planned in 2020, nobody, nothing would have happened. It just would have been fun. So there wasn't a Summerfest in 2021 either, if I'm not. No, they did the three weekends in September was 2021, if I'm not mistaken. And then they stuck with it. Unless I'm wrong, did they have a Summerfest in 2021? Y'all got Google probably pulled up on your little smartphone or mobile device. I don't. That's fine. But now they do this three weekend thing, whatever. But the Deer District during the Bucks championship run of 2021 sufficed as Summerfest. I had never seen that many people gathered outside of a concert venue or outside of Summerfest really ever in the city of Milwaukee. It was so much going on. There's people everywhere, and they had little vendors out there. You could get beer and get drunk, and everywhere you went, par for the course, you smelled the marijuana. And at the same time, everybody's partying, having a good time. The Kia boys were stealing all the cars. I'm just saying there was a lot of activity going on, right? But the point I'm trying to make is the things that produce the most revenue in this town, the single, and there's other things, right? There's other businesses in the restaurant sector and you know, other sectors that produce tremendous amounts of money. Like hotels and lodging, they produce money, but that's a little bit different because you have to look at, like, the whole cornucopia of hotels to look at the impact that they have economically. They look at all of the restaurants to look at what they their impact is. I'm talking about three standalone structures, the baseball park, the casino, and the basketball arena. How you're supposed to do it? If you were a normal downtown and not one that just is intoxicated on segregation, as all of those things need to be in close proximity of one another. They are all separate, meaning essentially you pick one or the other. Sometimes they have events at the baseball stadium. Concerts, whatever. You should be able to go there for whatever that event is, including a baseball game during the season. 
go to the casino, maybe go to one of the many restaurants they have there, maybe try your hand on the blackjack table or pull some slots, and then be able to go to the Deer District area and maybe catch an event, catch a show, catch a concert, catch a Bucks game. And all of that stuff should be either walking distance or connected by some form of mass transportation we don't have, and that's a problem for this city. Meaning the mayor's ambitious goal of growing the city to one million people is hampered by where we geographically have our most revenue producing entities. They are separate and they're not connected. If I wanted to go from the casino to the baseball park or from the baseball park down to the Deer District in a five serve form, I got to take an Uber or I got to drive. It's very inconvenient. I got to risk getting in an accident, getting my car stolen, et cetera, et cetera. I got to pay for parking. Imagine if you could just hop on a monorail, hop on a little train or whatever, or even rapid transit buses that could take you back and forth. We would generate more revenue. But because the people that often are season ticket holders for the baseball park, they didn't want when they were rebuilding Miller Park. This is right when I was I was in my 20s and I first started kind of getting involved in politics and really start paying attention because I was studying it in college at the time. And I saw the fights. They even they recalled somebody, a state senator. I think his last name was Pitaki. Pitak? Pitak. Thomas, Johnny, Billy. I think he's probably dead too. Because they didn't like how he decided on the Miller Park tax or something, and they recalled him. Right now, we can't recall anybody for anything. Back in the day, the political activism amongst the body politic was stronger. Now it's very weak. We won't listen, let me tell you something. Somebody could be caught doing crack cocaine. In the office of their government official, they're just doing crack. That's what cracks is what it sounds like when you inhale. And then they would get reelected. So they recalled George Pitak, Pitaki, for something with Miller Park. So the argument then was Mayor Norquist was still here. If you're going to rebuild County Stadium and rebuild a baseball park, yo, build it downtown. Mayor Norquist was so a lot of stuff you see happening right now downtown. None of this was Barrett. Barrett didn't have the vision. Norquist set all of this in motion. The, hold on. The reason why the Third Street Market Hall is here is Norquist. Condos, apartments downtown, the Riverwalk downtown, all that stuff. The explosion downtown wasn't Tom Barrett. Tom Barrett just got on the horse when it was already moving. But there's a huge fight because the people that go to Baseball games, a lot of the season ticket holders, they live outside of the city. And they don't want to drive into the city to go see their beloved brewers because then they might have to see black people. I'm not even I'm not kidding you, sister. We're gonna build it in this on the same area. And Norquist is like, yo, the action is gonna be downtown. He's like, mark my words, we're gonna want this downtown where everything else is. Cause at the same time, we had tore down the 145 freeway, so we opened up all this land in the middle of downtown. Quite honestly. American Family Field could be where the Serve is now, and the Serve could be where the Bradley Center was. That's how you build a downtown and how you generate revenue. And in the Potawatomi, that might be a little bit different because if I'm not mistaken, the Menominee Valley is still Native Reservation. But they probably, if we would have given them a sweet deal, they probably would have moved downtown as well. I said all that to say this. We have a mayor who sailed through his primary Re-election, he didn't even have to sweat, nor did he have to spend any money. And it seems like he has a mandate because people love Cavalier Johnson just that much. I mean, you get almost 90 percent of the primary vote. That means that you wield a pretty significant acts of power. But the issues that exist, especially surrounding revenue, are still there. 
but unfortunately on far too many issues concerning revenue and how we can get more money to invest in us. The mayor's on the opposite side of that issue. I'm going to take a break, come back, and talk about something else I kind of just was thinking about. America has lost the veneer of innocence. We used to appear a little bit more innocent than we are right now. Don't worry, I'll explain it further after I come back. The Truth with Sherwin Hughes will be back shortly. Don't touch that dial. The Truth with Sherwin Hughes will be right back on 1017 The Truth. You are listening to The Truth with Sherwin Hughes on 1017 The Truth, The Truth app, and 1017thetruth.com. Boozilla, baby. Welcome back. Let's see. Look, Derek, this is not a hunting vest. It's just, it's just orange because I'm wearing black. I got my black hat on. I got to keep my hat on because my head is shiny. And I got on a black sweater and um, black jeans, which you can't see, and black shoes. So I had to got throw a little color on, you know what I mean? Otherwise, it's too drab. It's not a hunting vest. I don't hunt. Not for animals anyway i might hunt for a good time though city boy says yes the turnout was horribly low apathy is winning so let me qualify that and i'm not even going to get into it because i mean there was an aldermanic race whatever there's the most interesting race was probably the seventh district primary where a, a lady and a man i just read them read about them today they advanced that's where khalif rainey is the current alder he decided not to run again. So there was a fairly hot primary. In fact, uh, Pastor Ken Hughes, who owns Dog City, which is a restaurant here at the Third Street Market Hall, he also has a Dog City at the North Avenue Market. He was a candidate, but he did not finish in the top two. And then there was another primary in the 5th Aldermanic District. That is our friend Lamont Westmoreland. He sailed sailed through his primary. He then faces a general election opponent. In April, who is not going to win. And then there is an 11th Aldermanic District primary, which is a South Side district. And I'm not even going to touch that because I'm going to be honest with you. Who cares? But you have Peter Bergelis. Bergelis or Bergelis? He's a county supervisor. Like, y'all remember what happened to him a couple weeks ago? He got caught naked from the chest up. He was on it. So the county board had like a a committee meeting. And he wasn't a member of the committee, but I think he logged in via Zoom or whatever. And he had his camera on, which is weird because he was just observing the meeting. It wasn't a committee that he was on talking about Peter Bergelis. Bergelis. And he turned his camera on. He had no shirt on. And it got broadcast to everybody that was watching in this county board committee meeting. Well, he advanced to the general election in the 11th Aldermanic District where our friend Mark Borkowski decided he didn't want to run for reelection. And then the other person to advance in the 11th Aldermanic District, which is a South Side district, is a guy named Josh Zepnik. Josh Zepnik was a state assembly representative from 2002 until 2018. He got beat by 
Marissa Bell Cabrera in his Southside Assembly District in two. It might have been 2016. No, I think it was 2018 she got. She beat Josh. Well, Josh had a bit of a Me Too moment. Apparently, he kissed a girl and made her cry. He went to the Democratic State Convention, got a little intoxicated and made out with a lady. Apparently, she didn't like being made out with. It's a whole thing. And so Marissa Bell Cabrera used that against Josh Zepnick when she ran against him in 2018 and beat him. So since 2018, you ain't got to take my word for it. Google will have all the receipts. Since 2018, Josh Zepnick has run and lost and run and lost and run and lost and damn near every local election that he has been able to get on the ballot for and has just lost. So now he's running for alderman again. He's run for the state assembly again. He ran for the county board. One of his races, he lost by like 10, 12 votes. That hurts because that means you should have just knocked on five more doors and you potentially could have convinced enough voters to get you in office. But he has been running and losing and running and losing and running and losing like Aisha Griffin has been running and losing and running and losing and running and losing like David King, who also ran for mayor, been running and losing and running and losing. In fact, Aisha Griffin loses so much. I don't even know why I'm talking about her because she's going to sue me again. She's running for an aldermanic district, too. So she ran for mayor, got eliminated in the primary. She got a thousand votes. Y'all understand there's almost 600,000 people in this city and she got a thousand. I wouldn't embarrass myself like that. I got pride, but whatever. She's running for, is she running for county executive too? No, can't be. Well, she's, she ran for mayor. She got trounced in the primary. Like she made Cavalier Johnson look like Jesus. She's also running for the third aldermanic seat. Like, why would you do that? Why are you doing that to voters? Stop playing with voters like that. If you know you can't win a single seat, then why would you put your name on the ballot for multiple? I don't see. I don't like that. And this is why people lose faith in the system because they think it's a game. They think it's a joke. Because if you talk to her, I invite her on the show, even though she sued me in federal court. She didn't want to come on the show. She'll probably tell you that she's very serious about what she does. But how she is exhibiting her seriousness is making a mockery of the process. This is not anything that you play with. People's lives are dependent upon how well we create policy, execute policy, and create legislation and budgets. This is nothing to play with. This is not a joke. This is not a game. And unfortunately, far too many politicians think it's a joke and it's a game, and far too many voters think it's a joke and think it's a game. And ultimately, those voters are the ones who are hurt. Take a break, come back. I want to talk about a time when I believe that America was a little bit more innocent. And I also want to ask you guys, when did we lose our innocence? And some of you can point to a variety of things, depending upon how old you are, which generation you are a member of. Some of you would say when Dr. King was killed. Some of you would say when Malcolm was killed. Some of you will say when the Black Panthers were vigorously pursued by the federal government and then they were killed. I would say it was a, for me when we lost our innocence was a bit more recent or at least when we lost the veneer of innocence during my lifetime. Let me be a little bit more specific about that. What I want to take you back to an easier, simpler time, but I'm going to do that on the other side. You are listening to the truth with Sherwin Hughes on 1017 FM. If you haven't already.
download the free 1017 The Truth app, and you can stream this program and all the programs across our lineup. You also can listen to podcasts of all of our shows as well. At 11 o'clock, candidate for City of Milwaukee comptroller Bill Christensen is going to join us, going to tell us who he is, why he's running, and a little more details about the importance of the comptroller's office. So about an hour and a half, Bill's going to stop by. I'll be right back. The Truth with Sherwin Hughes returns after this on 1017 The Truth, The Truth app, and 1017thetruth.com. More of The Truth with Sherwin Hughes is next on 1017 The Truth, The Truth app, and 1017thetruth.com. Our phone number is 833-212-1017-833-212-1017. Grant Jones says, Professor Hughes, Bob Donovan has been relatively quiet as of late. Your audience would like to hear his thoughts on the state of the city of Milwaukee. Can you make this happen? Nice try, Grant. Bob Donovan is out of sight, out of mind. He is the representative of the 84th Assembly District, so think um, near Southridge, Greendale, Greenfield area. He is dramatically less vocal and prominent on issues pertaining to the city of Milwaukee because I don't think he represents any part of the city of Milwaukee. And if he does, it's a very far south side corner of the city. But also as a state representative, he is a lawmaker for the state of Wisconsin. While some laws, quite honestly, a lot of laws, especially tax law, does apply to the city of Milwaukee, he has other other concerns. Fine with me. And some of y'all actually wanted him to be the mayor. I got in trouble talking about Bob Donovan. Y'all remember that? When uh, another radio host, a conservative radio host, who I'm better than. See, you know why they hate your boy? Let me tell you why they hate your boy, Rhea. Because I'm better than them. You ever listen to conservative talk radio? It's horrible. It's horrible. It's not exciting. It's not engaging. You know, and let me not say negative stuff about conservative talk radio, but come on. That's why y'all aren't listening to it now. The, their interest levels peak and they get excited based on something that is like super external. Let me give you an example. It's usually boring and monotone and they just tell people, what they already know. Conservative talk show hosts are notorious for telling people information that they already know, even if the information is wrong. That's what they do. They make people feel comfortable. They don't burst that bubble. And also uh, conservative talk radio listeners are much more of a captive audience because a lot of them live in the suburbs and the exurbs. They live in Waukesha County, Dodge County, uh, Ozaki County, et cetera, and they commute in. And while they commute in, they listen to AM talk radio. And AM works because the AM signal, hell, you can hear us damn near to Madison on our AM signal. I think we got a 15, 10 AM, I think, right, Rhea? 15, 10 AM, the truth is on AM. So whenever you're driving around in your vehicle and you lose an FM signal, just flip on the AM. AM come in long and strong. And so they're they're riding in on their commutes and they're being indoctrinated by conservative talk radio that tells them everything they already know. Migrants are coming over here. They're going to take your job. Black people are shooting everybody. You can't hang out in the city of Milwaukee because it's dangerous. And the Kia boys are going to steal your Kia or your Hyundai or your Toyota. 
And they hear that every single day. Can you imagine? Can you imagine Rush Limbaugh indoctrinating a bridge and tunnel crowd? That's what they call commuters in New York, like people that aren't from the city, that, that drive into the city for work and for fun, the bridge and tunnel crowd. Somebody like Rush Limbaugh who perfected poisoning the airwaves with conservative psychobabble. Best thing Rush Limbaugh ever did for black people was die during Black History Month. I'm standing 10 toes on that. Come at me. Come on. I'm here for a long time, not a good time. And so conservative talk radio only is exciting when a sports team wins because they'll base their exciting content off of somebody else's accomplishment. It's, it's crazy. Let's talk to the town, shall we? The town, you're on 1017 The Truth. How are you? How you doing, sir? Good. How are you? All right. I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. All right. Uh, now, a, a quick question, right? Okay. Uh, Milwaukee is 40% or 40% plus black, correct? That's correct. In the, in the Common Council, then that means we should have more seats than anybody in the Common Council, correct? We got 40% of the seats, brother, at least. Well, I'm, I'm, We're going to add I'm, another one, so I'm we back. might have close to 50. Well, we might have oh, that's what's up. half or more. Okay, that's what's that's what's up. That's what's up. Now I, I ask that because it seemed like in the past um, three months, like people, um, we've been getting played, and I don't know. I'll be I'll be going back and forth with you with a, with, with a couple things. But one thing I do agree with you with is the negotiation prowess or lack thereof of the the Democratic. Um, you know, the Democratic um, system up here in, in Wisconsin, because check it out. The mayor, he lost when he, he went to negotiate. You can, you can, you can, um, you can say that the, um, the, the guy that was on there yesterday, the, um, the county executive, it seemed like he lost when he went to negotiate. Now, I see a couple days later, the governor Talking about um, and talk, talking about the uh, the legislative maps that was supposed to go to the um, Supreme Court, but instead of going to the same Supreme Court, the governor cut a deal with them, with the, with the, with the um, with the, with the GOP. You know, it seemed it seemed like at all levels of government in this state. When it comes down to, to um, when it comes down to that, like you know, what I'm saying, getting for what you want or helping out us, they're not they're not even moving the needle enough. I just want to see what your thoughts about that is. All right, so I got to unravel some of that. If you look at the negotiations that David Crowley was doing with the Republicans in the Wisconsin State Legislature. I would give David Crowley like an 85%. You got to keep in mind, the city of Milwaukee sales tax, where Cavalier Johnson, the mayor, he was negotiating on our behalf, the county sales tax only went up by 0.4%. The city sales tax went up the 0.4%, plus five times more than that at 2%. So if I was to give these gentlemen grades for how they negotiated on behalf of their respective taxpayers, David Crowley gets like an 85%. Cavalier Johnson gets a 50%. And you remember, 85% to get you a B, at 50%, you're going to fail. So David Crowley also put in another 
accounting trick that the Republicans didn't see coming. See, David Crowley, who knows the game as well, because he used to be a member of the Wisconsin State Legislature. He outflanked the Republicans. And a lot of folks don't know that. And I'm trying to get David to tell more of the stuff that he does behind the scenes. But let me tell you why he don't do it. And I'm going to get in trouble for saying this because he doesn't want to show up Cavalier Johnson. But David Crowley is running circles as an executive around Cavalier Johnson. But David is a good dude. He a modest dude. And he don't want to be a show off. But he actually negotiated. He said, look, okay, we got to have this little sales tax, whatever, 0.4%, which is modest, but, you know, sales tax nonetheless. He's like, how do we how do we pay the sales tax? And the Republicans are like, oh, you have to pay, like, a fee to administer the sales tax. And he was like, how much are we paying for that fee? Oh, it's 1.5%. David Carley said, no, nah, we're going to change that fee. And they're like, wait, what do you mean? He said, no, we're going to change the fee. We're going to cut it in half to 0.75%. He just, by doing that, he just saved county taxpayers $150 million and don't nobody know about it. Cavalier Johnson could have did the same thing, but he ain't do it. So David Crowley wins. Now, here's the thing about the maps. All right. The Republicans had their hands tied behind their back. They're, this actually is a loss for them. The districts are less gerrymandered. What happened was the Republicans passed this version of the maps. The governor signed it so that we can start scheduling elections because there can't be any more elections with the current maps. Had we dragged this thing out, it might have gone through the presidential election and we don't have the time for that. You got legislative races that are coming up this fall and we cannot run any candidates with the current map. So I think the governor did it to be expeditious when it comes to time because courts had stuff. We're hung up in the courts for months. Right. And so we don't have that kind of time because this is a monumental election year. So this was not a loss for the governor. Could we have gotten more favorable maps? Sure. But Milwaukee's map didn't really change. So this is more for outstate folks. So that was the best explanation I can give you. And it's getting noisy where you are. I mean, it'd be, uh, you know, say, I'm going to say it's hard to turn. So it might be on or something. Are you even talking to us? Broken up in here. Just uh, where it goes, cold to hot. Yeah, you, it, 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 sometimes you know, you still on the phone with the radio like station. Something in there. Okay. Right. What? Don't don't call me. Don't call me unless you want to talk to me. And I think he cussed. Did you hear? Did he cuss? He didn't. All right. I'm gonna take a break. I'm supposed to talk about America's innocence. We'll do that on the other side. The truth was sure when he was will be back shortly. Don't touch that dial. The Truth with Sherwin Hughes will be right back on 1017 The Truth, The Truth app, and 1017thetruth.com. This is The Truth with Sherwin Hughes on 1017 The Truth, The Truth app, and 1017thetruth.com. You guys remember when television went off the air? You remember that? TV would say we're done broadcasting stuff. Y'all got to remember that. They would play the national anthem. It'd be a flag waving. So the last show would go off the air, whatever it was. Maybe it was the news. Maybe it was a specialty program or whatever. And then television would be like, go to bed. Don't watch anymore because we're not going to broadcast anything until the morning. 
Rhea, do you remember when television used to go off the air? You do not. That probably happened before you were born. Yesterday, I think it was the town that said this yesterday. Oh, we need to have stuff open 24 hours so we can get more revenue. I don't think so. I don't think the city of Milwaukee is equipped for the kinds of people that will be out in these streets lurking. We got a discipline problem in this city, and we don't want to focus on it. And because we have a discipline problem in this city, having stuff open 24 hours is a disaster. And we don't have enough police. We don't. And it's going to cost too much. Too much police overtime is going to be required if we have even late-night restaurants or 24-hour restaurants or any attractions or amenities downtown. I am personally against bars being open to 4 a.m. and 5 a.m. After 2 o'clock in the morning, take your ass home and drink. We're not ready to deal with the additional... Of the violence and the fights and the shootings that'll happen at three o'clock, four o'clock, five o'clock in the morning, and we don't have enough police as it is. So I'm I'm against that. I don't think that we need to sell our souls for revenue. We just need to get more creative with the amenities that we have. I, I I'm personally against it. Some of y'all going before it, but there was a period of time where you didn't want stuff open late because you need to go to bed. Go to bed. Y'all don't sleep enough. I got good sleep last night. I slept real good. I, I turn the fan on. I love having a fan on because I like to be cold. But then I bundle up in blankets. No, seriously, to actually get good sleep, you got to drop your body temperature a little bit. So it'd be, it'd be cold. And then sometimes, because I got a lot of covers. One of my comforters is heavy. It's like a fat person is laying on top of me. It's so comforting. It's heavy. But sometimes I'll be sleeping or whatever, and I get hot. Cause I got a lot of covers and then I stick one leg out and then it evens out the temperature. So I'll be under the covers and then you see a black ass leg and a foot like a dead body. I just do that for temperature regulation. You guys know what I'm talking about. Just like when you flip the pillow to the cool side, I stick out a leg, maybe a butt cheek, stick a little, let the ceiling fan just, just, just wave the air around. Oh, cut it out. Y'all do the same thing. All I do is talk about stuff that you already know. Rodney says Potawatomi was going to build and pay for the stadium downtown back then if they were granted table gaming. That's turned down. Years later, Governor Doyle granted them the same request. Money pushed off the table. Rodney, you are 100% correct, and I'm glad you brought that up. So back in the day, Potawatomi was only a bingo hall. That was it. I don't even know if they had slots back in the day when it first opened. We had Pato, which was bingo, and then we had the Dairyland track. I used to love going to the Dairyland because guess what? You only had to be 18 to bet on the puppies. Y'all remember when we had the Greyhound track? And you could go down there, and for $2, you get your little book, and it gives you all the stats on all the dogs. That was a lot of fun. As an 18-year-old, That was I won 40 cents once. I didn't really win because dogs – they don't they don't the one you want to win don't always win but it was so much fun and we would smoke cigars i was in high school we go down to take a little road trip down to kenosha go down to the dog park so but back then all you had was pato and it was just a bingo hall but i think you, you're right you're right i'm over here talking to myself you only had to be 18 to go to pato too because it was just bingo you had to be 18 to play bingo i don't know if you could drink or whatever and the owners of the the tribe, and I don't know what the other tribes, if they were offering table games like Ho Chunk, 
Oneida. Where's another casino at? Lacta Flambeau, way up north, they got a casino. Might be another casino in the state. But what the tribes, Potawatomi in particular, were saying is like, yo, we want to be able to offer poker, craps, and blackjack because people in Wisconsin, if they want to play those games, they either go to a riverboat casino down by Gary or they go to Vegas. And the tribes were like, we're losing a bunch of money because you won't allow us to have expanded gaming. There was a time where you could not play blackjack at Potawatomi. There was a time where there was no craps. There was no roulette at Potawatomi. It was just a bingo hall. So the tribes are like, look, let us offer these Vegas-style games here in our casinos, and we'll pay the state X amount of dollars. We'll offer rip. We'll just pay the state money. We'll give you a piece of our profits, and you can use that money to fund state government. Who was governor before um, Jim Doyle? Why do I not know that? Uh, Tommy Thompson, right? No. Yep. Nope. Yep. Because Tommy Thompson went to the Bush administration in 02, and that's when Tom Barrett ran for governor for the first time. Yep. So Tommy Thompson said no, and Jim Doyle was said, said yes. And so there's a 30-year gaming compact with the tribes that will then have to be renewed. If the gaming compact doesn't get renewed, then all of our tribes in the state of Wisconsin and their casinos lose all their table games. Ain't that crazy? And if we have a Republican in office, ain't no telling if they would actually work to renew the gaming compact, even though the tribes give us, I don't know how many hundreds of millions of dollars per year. The truth with Sherwin Hughes will be back for our two.